All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. What an excellent day for an Episode of Oh the Horror. I'm Rob Holmes, and today I am joined by Jordan Fluger, a longtime horror fan who has brought up a film to me that I've seen. Uh, it's been a while since I had seen it, and it is Rare Exports, a Christmas tale. Hey, Jordan, how you doing? Uh, not too bad, sir. How about yourself? Good, good. Thanks for being on the show. Appreciate the offer. So you mentioned this film and you were like, Hey man, you should do an episode on rare exports. Why rare exports? Uh, cause it's one of those films that not very many people have seen, especially in the United States. And then on top of it, it's the Christmas season and tis the season to get scary. This is true. And this film, this is a, this movie's weird, man. Like that, that's an understatement, <laughs> right? It, it's, it's a, it's a Norwegian Finnish film. Uh, so it's Scandinavian film that is following the idea that Santa Claus is buried inside of a mountain and there's this group trying to excavate him. Yes. And you know, that as well as other little tidbits of info that here and there that, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a retelling of Krampus. It's like Krampus was frozen, but it's basically the same thing. It, it is this, this one kind of went a little different. So this is based on, uh, we had talked about this before we had started recording just briefly that, uh, rare exports, <clears throat> it turns out is based on two short films. Full disclosure, I had no idea about until we mentioned it beforehand. So this is all news to me too. Well, what's great is that I I had no idea until like last night. So this is all this is me just rehashing new news to me that's from like 2003 and 2005 respectively. Um, but it, it, this was so interesting because having already seen rare exports these short films differ significantly. Um, they star those, that three main trio of guys who are in this movie are in both of these short films. Okay. Um, or at least two of the three, I'm pretty sure all three of them are, um, in the short for rare exports, Inc. It's about an elite trio of hunters who are venturing out into the woods and they have this cage in their truck. And they're going to track and capture this rare and dangerous prey for the Christmas season. And it's like an eight-minute short. And that rare and dangerous uh, prey are these essentially St. Nick's. Uh, so they have them as the actual Santa Clauses in this. Um, I was going to say that kind of fits in, but I'm not going to go spoilers since we'll talk about it here in a little bit. Well, it is. I mean, this actually is the film. It's the ending of this movie is the short film. 
Oh, okay. okay. So we we can actually delve full into spoilers because this kind of tells a story that is very it's off in its continuity, but at the same time, it's just really fascinating. Still, um, they say that Rare Exports Inc. has been around since the 1700s, but it's this trio of hunters who are hunting Santa Clauses to ship out to the world. And the idea is from Finland, you can get yourself a real Santa Claus. Who, who can complain about that? I know, <laughs> right? So that's, and the best part is, is this actually plays into the movie. So if you've seen the short films first and have never seen the actual movie Rare Exports, there, it, it does such a twist in the actual feature that it i kind of wish i had seen these back when they originally had come out first you know i uh, meant to ask uh did did these did the short films come out first or after first so the first uh rare exports inc the original short was 2003 um and it was followed by the official rare exports inc safety instructions 2005 manual and it was literally called that and that's a 10-minute short that came out in 2005. And then this came out in 2010. Okay. So it's it's cool. Like, you, you get to see how they have to train these Santa Clauses to be good to release. And then you get the safety instructions video, which shows what happens if you violate any of the rules. And in the beginning of this movie, the actual film, or the feature, uh, you see a rules card briefly, very briefly, but this kind of explains the rules a little more. Okay. And it shows the results of if you abuse a Father Christmas, because that's what they call them. They're like, when you have a Father Christmas, when you're hunting down a Father Christmas, it's just absolutely ridiculous and absurd. Um, I'm definitely going to have to watch these when we get done here today. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And the, the kid who stars in this appears in the 2005 one as the son of the guy who plays his dad in the feature, who is actually his dad. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that. Yeah. So this movie is like, there, there's a lot of, of world building that's, that's done in this. And then almost like an alternate reality world building when you get to the feature. Um, to me, it, it added a lot to this and, and now makes it kind of along the lines of like a trick-or-treat type film because you have trick-or-treat, but then you have a couple of the Sam shorts that have been you know made throughout the years. Yeah. This was written and directed by, uh, I'm going to butcher his name because I'm bad with a lot of names, uh, Jelmari uh, Hillander or Hellander. Sounds right enough to me. Cool. He went on to direct 2014's Big Game, starring Samuel L. Jackson and Oni Tamia, or Tamila, who was, you know, the star of Rare Exports as, um, I guess, Paitari or Patari. We're going to call I, him Peter. I was going to say, I gave up and called him Peter. We're going to call him Peter. So, uh, yeah, why don't you take us into uh, a little bit of the intro for this film? So, uh, honestly, the one of the things that I kind of like about this movie is that and you know it's the people thing that a lot of people complain about when it comes to trailers is spoilerage but when it comes to the introduction of this movie 
they're introducing us right off the bat of, you know, here's this uh, excavation team digging in and they think that they might have found something. Uh, one of them mentions that they feel like they might have dug into a tree by accident. They found some sawdust and the other guy gets this eureka moment. And that's when we find out, no, we found Santa Claus. Such a random thing to have. So if you had no idea what this movie was going into it, you're like, wait, what? And if you think it's a foreign film, it is, but it starts in English. So you're going to get yeah, confused. That, that, that first scene is going to throw you for a loop because then all of a sudden the subtitles come up. Yeah. <laughs> but then English becomes a factor in this because it comes back again a few times. Um, and I like that. I like that in movies where they don't dumb it down for an audience to go either all subtitles or all, um, you know, English. Actually, I really hate it when they're like, Hey, we're in all these Scandinavian countries and everyone speaks perfect English. And it's like, that's not accurate. I think the only time that that's ever acceptable is if they do. And I can't think of a movie offhand, but I'm sure you could probably think of something, but where they do a transition of them literally talking in their native language and then a pan cut to where they're speaking in English. So it's easier for everyone to understand. I think that's the only time it's really acceptable because it's implied that it's just yeah. being translated for us. But I think that the best example of like, don't dumb it down for your, for your audience is cannibal Holocaust where it, everyone's speaking in different languages, but you don't get subtitles. You get to watch. I, I really appreciate when they don't give subtitles for some of the uh, cannibal Holocaust does a really good job of, Yep, this is just your uh, this is your documentary that you're watching. We didn't put subtitles because we don't necessarily know what those languages are. Basically, yeah. And I I feel like the uh, lack of ex explanation of it just switching to Finnish is is well done. Mm -hmm. And you know, our first introduction to uh, it being not an English film are these two kids on the other side of the fence just kind of listening as to what's going on. Yeah, they they've snuck in through a fence and this kid right away like is like they have Santa Claus in there. I'm like, man, kid, you are way too smart or psychic or something. Uh, but there's a history behind that mountain. Like there's more to it than just some kid magically guessed that Santa Claus was there. Exactly. And, you know, it seems that there's a lot of mystery that's been circulating around this mountain for quite some time because they keep vaguely referencing to that excavation team. Mm. And, you know, nobody knows what's going on, but it seems that these kids are the first ones to actually ever try to break in. Well, they call it like seismic research is what they've been saying, but there have been all these explosions. They've had wolves and stuff that have been kind of like taking over the town. We begin uh, that it's 24 days before Christmas. Yes, that's it. I remember that being a big trope as that that advent calendar that he keeps messing with. Oh, yeah. And then that logo, like when it comes up with the the Santa Claus, like the big Santa, uh, it very looks much like it looks like a Psychonauts logo. Mm -hmm. like something from that you would have a special power for psychonauts um which is really awesome and then we go into this opening like the opening credits happen and then it's one day until christmas and during these opening credits it's peter basically getting doing all this research so this this kid's doing all this research on the first santa claus and it is horrifying and you know he's he finds this old book lying around 
and starts looking into how, you know, the, that people have been feeding them. And like I said, that's where I was saying it comes back into the retelling of the story of Krampus of basically Santa Claus is up there gobbling up the naughty little boys and girls and, uh, just giving these horrifying images of a horned Santa Claus and all that stuff. I mean, it's brutal because you're like, wait, what is going on? And, uh, Patari, I guess that's his name is Patari. Um, there we go. That sounds good. Patari. I'm going to call him that. Cause that, that sounds okay. good too. So we'll go Peter and Patari. That's the same person just so everyone knows. Yeah. Stick with Patari just to help you out. Awesome. So his name's now Patari. <laughs> it's like Atari. But with a P. Glad you um, said it. So Patari is uh, base. He does all this research, and we see that Santa has either killed or just m- mutilated a bunch of kids. Like he is, the first one is the most brutal. Um, but after these opening credits, we get the one day until Christmas. We see his dad out making like a punji pit trap. Yeah, that uh, oh. foreshadowing of, of death right there. That thing, but, I'm like, dude, what are you trying to kill? Because we don't even know about the wolves yet, but like... I, that was that was the one thing that I remember, and granted me not seeing these short films, uh, just trying to piece together things, because one thing that I will say that you will find out quickly is that unless you watch these short films like myself who hasn't, you're going to start trying to piece things together that aren't ever explained. Like they don't ever really explain except for in a couple of casual pieces of dialogue that Patari's mother isn't around. Uh, They kind of imply that she's passed away as well as the fact that there's this uh, ongoing predator problem. They're assuming is just our wolves and I, I guess they're they they have a reindeer business is what it, that they implied to it, mm-hmm. and that these reindeer keep getting slaughtered. So he builds this massive pit with a piece of I guess a piece of deer ham hanging from a. Oh no, it's it's a straight up pig's head. Um, oh, was it? A pig's head? Yeah, because he he takes a bite from an apple and then he puts the apple oh, on yeah. the pig's head in the mouth. Um, but I thought that was interesting because, yeah, he covers it up and he has, like, the excavator there and he has the, the pig head from it. And I'm like, okay, all right, fair enough, guy. We get introduced to – well, actually, so so going back to the short films, those don't really tell you any of this backstory because even though these are the same people who are in it, this is like an alternate reality where they're they're doing that stuff and they've been doing this for generations. Like oh. – so, so it talks about like the, these hunters are the most, basically in the first short film, it's three and a half to four minutes of this eight minute film. You have no idea what they're hunting. So the whole idea is that you find out what it is and they show you the whole process of creating one, you know, like turning a, a, a you know, a father Christmas from that lives in the wild, this rare species into, uh, one that is ready to be shipped out for the holidays. But yeah, I, it, it's such a, it, it's totally different and it definitely plays up more for comedy. This, right in the beginning, we get some like, okay, we know it's going to be quirky, but there's some emotional father son moments, um, especially early on. Oh, definitely. Like, 
I mean, uh, you know, you explaining that that's actually the kid's father makes a lot of sense because they have that chemistry that just seems natural. Yeah. And uh, I got to give props to the entire cast for, you know, really doing a good job uh, throughout the entire film of keeping your attention and all that, especially because it is kind of a for I would say about six, 70 to 80 percent of the movie. It's kind of a bare bones setting of you know just kind of inside this dude's camp in his house Mm -hmm. and then maybe his butcher shop but then other than that it's a lot of exterior scenes so them being able to keep that momentum going with that very very little for the majority of the film is really nice well the set dressing in it is really good too like they really took their any like basically so the kid uh patari lives in the attic and mm-hmm. his attic room is it's like it's like Bastion's place and never ending story. You know what I mean? Like he's got all these these books everywhere, but it feels like something out of a Jean-Pierre Genet film. And I'm expecting there to be some weird Rube Goldberg device, which he kind of has that he he attaches to himself to wake himself up if uh, he falls asleep. But this kid fails at that constantly. I was, was going to say that device did not work at all. <laughs> no, he was terrible at it. And then it got caught on to it. Yeah, he, he, it did not work at all for him. Uh, this kid falls asleep a lot. But he, <laughs> he sees footsteps outside of his window when he wakes up. And he's been keeping his advent calendar shut. So he thinks that Santa Claus was outside of his window coming to get him. Yep. And uh, uh, don't forget about his phone book diaper that he had on. Wait, he had a phone book diaper? It was like a book that he had had that he taped to his butt. You remember that? Oh, <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Forgot about that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, he had that. And then <laughs> then he has he grabs this, like, belt that's like a leash, and he grabs Vupe, which is his fake dog. It's basically like a pelt of something wrapped up in, like, a, a which, leash. Which is one of those pieces that it's worth paying attention to. Yeah, because uh, you're gonna miss it the first time. Is, I did. Dog's importance. Yeah, it's it's so much fun, and I, yeah, first time I saw this movie, I was so focused because I'd seen the trailer, so I'm focused on all sorts of other stuff. I'm not looking at like the really cool intricacies. There we go, intricacies of this film, and um, that was back in 2010. So then, you know, second time I saw it, it was like, oh man, there's so much more to this. And this third time, it just was like. Man, they layered a lot into something that is only, what, an hour and 22 minutes long? And, you know, for an hour and 22-minute runtime, that sounds like it would be very short, but that kind of a film, it's kind of perfect. Yeah. I think that they could have padded out the ending just a little bit, but, but that's that's my own personal opinion. Oh, I agree 100%. I think that even even having the short films, I thought the short films would explain more of this story in general. It explains more of the idea of what rare exports is later on but i would like to see this turned into like a series or something or or actually in the same way that um norseman is done you know like they could easily do the same with troll hunter and i you know i talked about that on that episode i agree with you guys that that would make a good series this would make a good series well you know it's it's weird it's when you think about international films especially norwegian or scandinavian uh finnish films any any of those there's a lot more effort put into them 
like, uh, re- like real I, research, real care. Uh, don't make me cry, dude, because it's true. <laughs> I mean, it, it really is. But that's the thing is even look, even that scene where um, <clears throat> uh, the, the kid doesn't want to go into his dad's slaughterhouse because he's, you know, not okay with the the blood and gore and everything and he's out there just freezing just standing in his underwear freezing um but then he finally goes in there he has to deal with that but then there's a scene later where they're just sitting and talking together and you just see that the dad is just so like he's trying but he doesn't know what to do and how to raise this kid and that was going to be one of the points I was going to bring up about as far as that chemistry is concerned is that, yeah, at the surface, you might look at this guy. And honestly, in hindsight, you'll look at him and be like, this dude sucks at being a father. But yeah. He's trying really hard and you got to give him those try hard points. And he does, you know, do a good job for the most part. But there's a couple scenes at the end. I'm like, I'm strongly questioning your choices here. Oh, yeah. No, there's there's definitely like, do you? Do you care if your son lives or dies? You, I okay, okay, I guess not. Whatever, man. But you know, I guess life life is tough out there in in Finland. Um, oh yeah, we we were introduced to you know the kid. We're introduced to his father. We know that you know his father. Uh, you know he has a slaughterhouse, and that's what he does for a living. But it's really just their garage converted to a slaughterhouse. So you realize like this is very middle of nowhere small town life um i was gonna say they also don't forget they also introduced this kid's quote-unquote friend more like the only other kid in this town that he interacts with that seems to be that seems to pick on him a whole lot yeah his Uh, friend's an asshole but and they they kind of make it up to be like he's gonna be a big part of this film and he's not as big of a part of the film as you expect he'd be he helps try to figure out this stuff and eventually starts believing this kid until eventually he just kind of uh, exits the film for a while, but they do explain kind of what happened and where he went later on in the film. But, you know, they're, they were going through the slaughterhouse and he's nervous about going in there. And eventually he does. And there's a lot of these back and forth, awkward, like you need to start growing up son type moments. And have I been a good kid this Christmas? And, you know, good kids get up when they're supposed to that kind of thing, that kind of, I'm going to be a stern father because I'm trying real hard type thing. Yeah. And that's, that's what it is, you know? And then, um, they travel via snowmobile to meet up, um, with a bunch of other hunters and it looks like they are, well, it looks like they're going on a wolf hunt. Um, cause it looks like they're all hunters at first, but it turns out, you know, they're all, um, like ranchers and stuff like that. Um, and you know, I was thinking back and I, I really would like to know a little more about the backstory. It's a shame that those, those, the, the alternate universe short films don't tell you much. Yeah. But I'm wondering if the did the wolf problem start when those kids started going and cutting the fence open to go look at on that excavation site? Yeah. So so what happened? Yeah. So I'm what happened gonna, with the what happened with the wolves is um, throwing wolves in quotation marks here though because we end up finding out what it is later. <laughs> well, I think it's a combination. 
So I think, yes, they've had issues with Wolves in the past. All this blasting was happening. And in the beginning, all the Wolves started to come out and start to pick off some of the animals, potentially. Mm-hmm. From there, all of a sudden, you know, they're looking for their herd of reindeer. And two of we them meet. come back. Yeah. So they look around. Um, the dad and his friends drive off on their snowmobiles and uh, Patari and uh, Juso go as well. They drive out and they find out that the entire herd has been slaughtered. 433 reindeer dead. That's a lot of wolves. Uh, that's exactly what they were. They were like, no, what sort of wolves would do this? You know, this isn't how wolves would normally do it. So we know that some wolves in the past have probably gone here and there. And I could see over those 24 days it increasing because we're at one day until Christmas now. Like, we've passed all that time. So a lot of stuff has happened that we're just kind of like catching up with in passing a lot. Of and that's, time. I was going to say, that's the one thing that I can't tell if a lot of this is nonlinear storytelling or if this just was a lot of stuff that happened in one day. Yeah, there's one moment in particular that I'm a little by uh, as far as timing goes, because I I think there's a jump back in time, uh, because that's the only thing that really makes sense unless this group disappeared and then came back. But yeah, it's all supposed to be over the course of one day until Christmas and then like Christmas Day. Yeah. Um, and that's basically where we're following. Once the credits, opening credits are done, that's that's basically the film uh, as far as the time span goes. It's a lot of stuff to cover in a day. <laughs> it's, a to- it's a lot of stuff. But we know they've gotten up pretty early in the morning. So we're following them probably at like, I mean, who knows? It's probably like 7 a.m. for all we know. Um. It can't be all in one day because there's multiple scenes of this kid waking up and his Goldberg device not working. No, no, no. But it's it's two days because it's it's the day before Christmas and then Christmas Day. Okay, I thought that there were three instances of that not working, but I might be wrong. Uh, I think it was. I think it was just two. I know I sound like a schmuck. I'm the one who suggested this, and I don't remember a whole lot about. Dude, there's, it. <laughs> but there's a lot that happens, and even in that uh, opening credit scene there could have been something like that being shown and that would have given you a montage of like what happened over 23 days of him doing research. It's definitely hard to explain to people that haven't seen this how in depth and how vague they have made a lot of these things all at the same time. Yeah. And that's, that's something that like on, on my third watching of this film, my appreciation level Basically, because I've seen more Finnish and Norwegian films, like I, I get this movie that much more. I mean, it is definitely a different kind of storytelling than you get in your yeah. standard Western American. Which another another key point that I think is is worth chuckling about is, if I'm not mistaken, they keep mentioning the Americans on the on the expedition site. Not a single one of those dudes have an American accent. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, but I mean, they, they, they spoke English at least on there. So I think that's just how they went with it. Um, (laughs) but I mean, at the same time, it's kind of like, there's people who don't have American accents in the States. So let's just say they, 
I'm keeping in mind of the fact that I, I and granted I have not I did not get enough time to do a whole lot of in-depth research. Yeah. But uh it, from the way that this film was presented, I'm thinking that it's relatively low budget and mm-hmm. and for that being said, it is an incredibly beautiful movie for it being as low budget as it is. It is 1.9 million euros. So teensy little budget that's under that's around two and a half million american i think at the time when uh-huh. it was made that's but that's the, yeah that's like that's evil dead 2 budget like yeah. that's super low I, I think that that's only slightly higher than troll hunter's budget which was like one million euros wasn't it uh troll hunter i think was more i think troll hunter was around three and a half but okay. I, I thought it was around the same, but I might be wrong on that. But uh, you might that, be right on that, actually. Let me. I'm. I got to double check now. <laughs> um. So Troll Hunter's budget was. Um. Oh, geez. We're doing this on the fly. Oh yeah. Uh, have fun editing. <laughs> All right. So the uh, budget, yeah, is two point one million. And that's okay. what it was. So yeah, you're exactly right. Slightly lower than um, what this one was, or around the same actually. I mean, pretty much Rare Exports was pretty much the same budget. So it's showing like you can have high concept for low budget. Exactly. Like then that's you know, and you see that in in American Western. Uh, I keep saying American Western like we're talking yeehaw. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, when it comes to like uh, the Western audience horror films, that uh, you can still accomplish the same thing, but I feel like having that outside perspective of this is what a story can look like is is it's it's kind of refreshing from time to time, uh, especially when you find those that start bleeding into into other films. That's just like okay, it seems that this person has watched more than x y and z yeah oh absolutely uh and this it's so there's so much going on into it and it's so layered that it's just it's something that um more care are given to these films because a lot of the time the government is involved in helping to fund it because they have good arts programs Oh, don't again! You're gonna make me cry again because it's true. I know, but that's 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 the the sad reality of it. And plus, I'm a little jaded because I watched a lot of really bad straight to video U.S. horror in the late '90s, early 2000s. So automatically, like, I'm a little jaded to to indie horror that's made statewide, uh, for the most part. I, I, that being said, my alternate choice for this is not a crappy indie horror film. Uh, for those uh, who are interested, originally when I had spoken to being a potential guest on the show, I had suggested the show or the uh, the Grave Encounter series, which is another worthy uh, set of indie horror films, but completely different than this. Yeah, those. So that was the thing is once we hit like the 2010s a lot of those ones that were more of the you know they went to very limited run or straight to video stuff picked up in quality because you had a lot of these smaller indie um, production companies that started to form and and gave some of these films life and well, in, plus in- the fact that 
modern day technology makes it easier for your average at home video uh, content creator to create almost, you know, movie quality stuff just with a couple of different programs. Well, absolutely. I mean, that's low budget is, is the way to go kind of nowadays. If you're looking to get into the industry is that's the easiest thing to start with. I mean, it was even back in the eighties, but (laughs) the budgets back then were still exponentially higher than what you could get away with now. Exactly. Um, and speaking of budgets, uh, these guys ended up losing with those 433 dead reindeer, $85,000 plus 22% value-added tax. Mm -hmm. Another big piece of that was how much debt they were in at this point and that they were, you know, debating on having to shut down and trying to figure out what are we going to do. And it seems that a lot of their workforce seemed to be disappearing and trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah, like in this, so this was the, the guys who had their herd taken. They lost all of this. Now they're like, well, you know, we haven't heard blasting in a few days or whatever. So they probably all left. So now they've left. They've let the wool or, you know, these wolves come out here. They've took taken all our stuff. And these these herders are mad. They're so irate. Right. But as they're moving through these corpses of of these reindeer, Atari moves one to the side and notices there's footprints of people. So he's like, oh, Santa Claus. And it's like, you must have been hungry. And oh, okay, kid, you have read too much because you are way less phased about this than any normal human being would be. <laughs> My thoughts exactly. Oh, this kid. I, I mean, stuff must be really messed up. I mean, I, obviously with Troll Hunter, I like to think that Troll Hunter fully exists in this same world. That would be an interesting twist is if they managed to pull off a crossover. I could easily see it. I mean, you take all the, you know, Scandinavian mythology and, and stuff like that. And some of these quirkier films, you could create this amazing shared universe that these father Christmas is riding trolls through the Scandinavian wilderness now. <laughs> yeah. That I mean, that could be the thing is there's like an area where it's happened or something like that. Where, uh, uh, what happened? Well, we have a Father Christmas on the loose. What? what? He's gone rogue. He's taken a troll. <laughs> Did he uh, get a mountain? Don't tell me he got a mountain king. Oh, no. He's like, no, he got a Yatnar. Oh, <laughs> oh that dude riding a 200. It would, it would be Shadow of the Colossus, but oh. So dangerous. Shadow of the Colossus with a Christmas overlay. <laughs> that's like that's what makes all of this so much fun is that there's there's actual mythology and actual like lore behind everything that that this film has put you know has done. Same with Troll Hunter, um, and even so. So these guys have have said screw it we're getting our money we're going to go to the top of this mountain and we're going to get some answers and they shoot off a lock and like let's not forget their creepy uh horribly like macaulay culkin-esque electric fence that they put together oh my gosh yeah so oh 
one of their defenses for the reindeer. So it's like, let's just pen all of our reindeer in this electric fence that looks like it's about to blow up any second now. Which, which this is where I feel like they should have gotten a hold of, of the Norwegians from Troll Hunter and said, hey, can we get some of your electrical grids? <laughs> can we get some power lines up in here? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's, yeah, that thing is just dangerous, has dangerous written all over it. Um, but these guys end up, they go up to this, this tower at the top of this mountain they're going to get some answers. And right away, because I know that the rare export things has a symbol and they arrive and it's sub-zero ink, I'm like, hmm, this is interesting. Which even outside of the context of the, of the rare exports logo, uh, the name of the company being sub-zero ink is just enough of a, an eyebrow raise to where if you didn't know what was going on, you'd, you'd have some questions. Yeah. And even the Sub-Zero, you're like, okay, and they found something trapped in ice, you're like, interesting, that's its own thing. But then, if you know about, like, if you've seen the short films for Rare Exports, that's got to be such a confusing thing, because Rare Exports is its own company. Um, So, but but at the same time, it's pretty cool, and the whole place looks abandoned, so all of a sudden, I'm getting, like, I'm getting the Norwegian camp from... uh, from the thing vibes, you know, you know, I was looking at this film and ironically before doing today's, uh, recording, I was helping my parents get a Christmas tree and I was thinking, wouldn't this be like a good haunted house for a Christmas tree farm? Oh my gosh. Yes. Like just a bunch of naked old men just running at you at full speed. <laughs> oh yeah! By the way, guys, spoiler alert: these oh, things, father, know. father, Christmases, and even in the short films, by the way, are naked old dudes. Um, get ready for a lot of old man balls. So many, and it's awkward and creepy and unsettling and there's a moment at the end of this film where i'm just like what it Uh just i'm like wait do you guys not understand what this looks like right now okay whatever and it deals with the it deals with the same fence the electric fence that we were talking about um we got there but yeah (laughs) um so these guys they're they're up they they figure this is not seismic research, how they told the locals. They see this giant hole with scaffolding that just goes down the sides, like, the, you know, wooden platforms all the way. Who knows how far down it goes, because they toss a flare down, and you can't see the bottom of this thing. Like, I remember, remember the best comparison is, like, Alien versus Predator, when they're digging into the ice, how deep that hole was. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Not a movie that I enjoy, but oh, a it's movie, terrible. a it's movie terrible. with a very large hole. <laughs> so I guess they they they're just like, well, this isn't what it's supposed to be. So these dudes just leave and go home. And then you know, Patari has now staple gunned his advent calendar door shut. He has not just put tape over it; he's gotten a staple gun out because he thinks if he staple guns this thing shut magically. He's going to keep Santa at bay. And phone book diapers still taped to his butt. 
Yeah, well, it just makes him taller, I think. That's his whole thing. I think you just can't see. I don't know. I, I think, I, but he also told his buddy that was told, taller than him to do the same thing. So maybe there was something written in the book that has oh. to do with that. I don't know. You know what? I think it's armor. He's, remember, think, like, he's, he's like, he's got all this stuff all over him. It's random pots and pans armor. <laughs> well, part of it's hockey gear, and then part yeah. of it's like whatever that, yeah, like pots and pans, like, like whatever he found. And I think he basically was like, this is, this phone book is going to protect me, and this is like part of my armor. And it's like, you know what, man? It could be. He probably, you know, he knew the night comes for us tells us all about phone book armor and you can you can make phone book armor. This kid just didn't duct tape it to himself. Like the kid, you know, he's walking around in this makeshift armor. His dad's like, what are you wearing? It's like it's something that's just the game me and my buddy play. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I, and you know what? That's that totally works. Like I remember yeah. as a kid, you I'd dress up like an idiot and I read a lot of Calvin and Hobbes, so they'd be like, what are you doing? I'm like, Calvin Ball. They're like, what's that? I'm like, I don't know. I make rules as I go along. Yeah, that's, I mean, there's nothing in this aside from, like I said, towards the end when, yeah, uh, because I think it's a good time to start bringing up that this movie is a very slow burn for the first hour, and then the last 20 minutes it goes from zero to 60 in like no time. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's a slow burn, but it's an interesting slow burn. Yeah, I'm not using slow burn as a negative connotation. I yeah. mean, as in it's just it's a good world building. Oh yeah, and it's a it's a very good film to watch if you're interested in knowing how to build a world in a short period of time, because they do a really good job of setting you there and making you feel like you're a part of that town. And then, like I said, in that last twenty minutes, it just goes from zero to sixty and nothing. It just ramps up and like right. Like right off the, you know, we we now have that scene. He talks to his buddy about um, all the stuff that he did, and the kid kind of almost goes and believes him for a second. Then he's like, "No, you're you're full of shit," you know. So his his friend Juso still doesn't believe him. Um, and this is where we get that really tense gingerbread scene between uh, Atari so and his and his dad. That's one of the most heartfelt and heart wrenching scenes, though that gingerbread scene. And this is where you definitely see the 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 chemistry of the two shine the most, as them just having this really silent interaction, eating some gingerbread in the kitchen. I mean, you can actually see like what the loss of of his wife has done to him. And it, it's brutal. Like he's basically alone in this world with his son and having to raise him. And it's just, you can just see, it's just destroyed him. Um, and, oh, he's just like, I made this. Cause I know your mom used to make it. And yeah. If I'm not mistaken. I think he says it's not as good as mom's, but it's still good. Something along those lines. If I'm not, I, I might be mistaken though. I, th- I, I think some something along that, but and it's, it just shows like, you know, he's trying, um, but he knows that it's, it's never going to be the same. Um, and that's, that's just kind of, it's rough. And I think a lot of people can kind of relate to that. You know, anybody who is a single parent going through any of that type of stuff. Um, but it was good that they included that as a, as something that didn't go cheesy and it didn't try and ham it up or anything. It was just, it was real. Exactly. That's again, the, the reason why I was saying before 
that I have to applaud this this cast for being able to pull these kind of intimate moments off. And uh, in a, a genre of film that often these things are kind of pushed to the side. Well, it's true. A lot of them. I mean, that's the thing, though, is that we're dealing with uh, not the Hollywood studio system. So you can have actual emotional moments in, in a film um, like this. Their their interaction, yeah, and uh, you know he he kind of scolds his son for a little bit and tells him to go and you know make himself look useful that kind of thing. And what what's going on at this point? I'm trying to remember. Does does he mention that the trap has been didn't, didn't sprung yet, or is that no? So this is still that night. We haven't we haven't transitioned to the next morning. So they've gone back to the house. This is still that night. Um, we go back to where the uh, excavation crew is and i guess they've shown back up i you know to the place where now no one's at but like the head guy and a few others show up there and he's freaking out he's calling he's talking to whoever that head guy was who we saw in the beginning who, who looks like he's an elf like when you see him you're like oh this guy is an elf trying to get santa claus or whatever that that's where it seems like this movie's going uh-huh and they uh they're talking about how you know they're digging in it's just like that we need to stop and why do you need to stop i need him out by the morning yeah. and, but it still has a pulse yeah. and realize oh santa claus is still alive yeah and this guy doesn't know really what's going on because he's just like this thing's alive whatever it is that was trapped down here you know, and then he's he's like, just follow the safety instructions. And the dude says one thing. So so the rules are like no smoking, smoking, no, no swearing, no swearing, uh, no drinking. Uh, there, there's a ton of a ton of rules like you do any of those. And some some of the lighter infractions, like if you were to you know, spit on the ground or say something, whatever. It might not be so bad, but basically when he says like, use the safety instructions, the guy's like, fuck your safety instructions. You Immediately. <laughs> Without hesitation. All the people around him, like dead, just gone. Yep. Helmets just spinning. Yeah. Fan fantastic transition there. And that's when you start realizing that this movie is going to start ramping up pretty quick. Yeah, because you're like, wait a second. These people were just killed or whatever, like right away. The main guy, you see something moving towards them. And then that's, you know, we cut to the next morning uh, and you it's, see it still doesn't work. And he wakes up. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it still is just like. <laughs> This time it got trapped. It got caught on his on his like sweater, and instead of falling into the container, doesn't it? It just like goes down his arm, uh, like and, the. That, and that little one piece is one of those like very very so uh, I guess humanizing things about this is that yeah he's a really smart kid, but he still makes mistakes, and I like yeah. that little touch. Yeah, he's a really smart kid, but it, it seems like he's just, he's smart, but can't actually do anything, like, like practical. That. 
uh, I say that now, but but then the the end of the movie. No, no, but that's what I mean. It's like it, it gives you that idea. Well, that's his his journey, right? That's his journey is that he's not able to get any of his plans to actually work. It, he he does all the research, but his execution is flawed. So like he thinks the key will just fall into the bowl, but it's on his sweater and it just pulls the thread and it gently puts the keys into the bowl so it doesn't make any noise. And I think that they, I remember one of the things that they were talking about in that, that gingerbread scene uh, and that his friend Juso was mentioning is that uh, he's kind of that weak little kid that everyone has to look out for. Yeah. That, you know, he shouldn't have to be looked out for that much. This is his kind of way of being like, I can look out for myself. Exactly. And then, um, well, he, <laughs> he, he, uh, I guess he set up, uh, some traps. Uh, he, Kevin McAllister, the the place, uh, the fireplace in particular, because when his dad goes to <laughs> toss a log into the fire, you just see this what seems like an explosion, and you don't and know what's happened at first. The, the the moment that made me literally stop the movie and just die laughing for a second was the look of absolute joy on this kid's face when he hears his trap go off. <laughs> he was so he's like i did it i caught him and you see this massive bear trap around this like log that the dad had put in it said it himself that's what i want to know <laughs> i know that that i'm like i'm just super impressed that the kid was able to set that thing by himself too yeah and it's just such a moment and the dad's like you're grounded like what you're what are you doing um it's god that's hilarious and then pretty much right away you know he's like oh i got I, the kid's gonna go outside and his dad's like no you're grounded he's like i have to go pee whatever so the kid goes outside and freaks out and he calls his dad that, out there that's the moment when he realizes his dad's pit that the bait is gone and yep. it looks like the tarp that he had put over it is is now moved yeah so you know, his dad rushes outside and, you know, call and tells him, you know, you stay right there. And of course, he doesn't stay right there. He's going to follow along because he's a nosy little kid. Yeah. <laughs> and there's and the first of our very, very many naked old men laying in this pit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, there's any he's this dude is impaled by a giant punji. Um, and so the dad's like, oh. I killed a dude. And there are these like potato sacks in there too that you see. And you're like, oh man, this guy just killed the dude because this thing's like coming out of his like chest. And Patari tries to go over and the dad's like, no, nah, you don't need to come over here. Everything is fine. Don't worry about it. And the, you know, the kid doesn't know, but the kid thinks it might be Santa Claus because, you know, he he has his own thing going on. He's he's not dumb. It is a weird comedy of errors because you're like, oh, dude, did this dude just kill some random old dude. Like if you don't really know what's going on. But I mean, I think it's pretty easily established the fact that, you know, how often is there a naked old man yeah. roaming woods eating a pig's head? I mean, probably probably not very often. Um, I mean, this is. And Linda, I don't know what what their traditions are, but you, you never know. 
<laughs> yeah, but even even like so so the dad uh takes gets his buddy who's dressed up as Santa because that's what he's doing this year, um to come over to the slaughterhouse, and they take the body into it and it's this old dude and he has the he's wearing the contractor's jacket and has his wallet in there because they check the id he doesn't look anything like him but they straight up think that that's him i mean if you look at the age difference then i could almost believe it like you know this looks like uh, an id from someone back in the 60s and this guy looks like he's now in his 60s so I I could I could kind of believe it, but I do know what you mean that the the, the two n- look nothing alike. Yeah, I mean, I think they say like, man, like something went wrong, or you know, because he looks terrible now. Um, but it, it's very, it's a very weird moment. Of course, granted, all this stuff's happening very quickly, and they don't really know what's going on. Um, but they're like, well, what are we gonna do? And. Santa Claus dude looks over the guy wearing the Santa suit. His buddy looks over and sees the bandsaw and, uh, uh, the kid. Oh man. So, so they're about to saw him up and then we go over to the kid. The kid goes to the pit, sees some blood and that's where he finds, um, one of those potato sacks, right? He finds it in that pit, but he finds like an effigy of a, of a child in it, like this straw, effigy of a kid um and you're like "Ooh, this is getting even weirder and then we cut back to the slaughterhouse and the dad's about to push this arm through yeah um he's not dead nope he starts he like gasps all of a sudden starts breathing heavily and they kind of jump back well he pulls his arm he snaps his arm back yeah and then starts breathing exactly and you know he's he's not doing much at this point aside from that but you know slowly you see that it, this, yeah he's he's not dead and uh they start stepping back trying to figure out what are we going to do with this old guy yeah and at this point i think that they're still convinced that he's the the owner of that jacket yeah yeah, they still don't know what's going on. Patari, you know, has now is looking through a window into the slaughterhouse. And but as he's doing that, you see this old dude start sniffing. Like he really becomes more animated and he's like trying to smell the air because mm-hmm. he can smell Patari. And that's when the dad like is looking around. He sees that Patari was up there and you know, he he goes out, but Patari's kind of run off. Run to the cops, by the way. <laughs> and the dad's like, what are you doing? Where are you going? Because they're not going back to his slaughterhouse. They're going over to Juso's dad's place. Because I guess the whole town has gone crazy. I thought that they were going over to Juso's dad's place because Juso was missing. Well, at this point, no, no, no. Juso wasn't missing. Basically, they were getting calls in where the cop was saying... I've been getting calls all day. He's like, I've had calls on radiators being stolen. I've had, you know, all these, uh, any heating instruments and stuff have been taken from places. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, Juice's dad is is out there standing and saying, yeah, you know, I had all these sacks of potatoes 
and they're all in my barn. I had all these sacks of potatoes, and they're like, so they stole all your potatoes? And he's like, no. No, they just stole the sacks. And potatoes are all over the barn, just like completely empty. Uh, or no, like completely all over the barn, but there's no there's no bags anywhere. Um, Curiosity, where, where did you watch your copy? Because I'm wondering if you might have seen an extended cut, because I don't remember that scene in the version that I watched. I watched mine on Shudder. I watched mine on Tubi, which might be why they cut it. Maybe it's very brief that like you just see the barn and there's just potatoes all over the the ground in there, but it's maybe like a two second scene. Okay, so maybe you know, dog was up to shenanigans and I didn't pause it in time, that kind of thing. Yeah, there's because there's no real focus given to it. It's just kind of like now you know that why they're they just stole the sacks and it's like kind of like a brief sight gag and then it's not really seen again. Um, and then we find that uh, Patari is going to go find Juso because he's like, hey, do you know where he is? And dad's like, no, he's probably inside. His bed is empty. Except there's a straw effigy in it. Mm, well, his bed, sorry, his bed is not empty. He goes in there and yeah, he, he goes over to the bed thinking that he's in there. He pulls the thing back. It's a straw effigy instead of Juso. Mm-hmm. Um. And no one believes him right away because straight up, even the cops like, yeah, we were all your age once. We all put fake stuff, pillows, whatever, under our sheets and went off to go see girls. So, yeah, he probably just did that. I mean, again, that I guess maybe that's just different time, different place. In my opinion, if my kid's missing and there's a random straw thing in there, I'm going to go looking for him. Yeah, I mean, but we're also talking like there's so much other weird stuff happening. They're probably just trying to rationalize everything because they really do. They they try to rationalize as much as they can f- until you kind of have to be like, oh, maybe it is something a little more supernatural. Um, but you know, and then they, this is also around the time that they're try that the, his father and his buddy are trying to figure out how to communicate with this this old guy and they think to call one of their friends that happens to speak English. Yeah, which is the guy who um had all of his potato sacks stolen. So it's exactly. Jesus' father. Um so he comes in there and tries to be intimidating and stuff because apparently even his wife's like Russian hair dryer was stolen and he talks about how like Russian technology is cutting edge technology and it's that's a that's a fun little that's a fun little moment. Um, he, he asks all these questions trying to be intimidating to this, this old naked dude who is staring at a Santa hat. Um, and he, he, you know, he's just sitting there just, did they, did he bite that dude's ear off yet? Right. Yeah. 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 They, 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 he was, they were trying to intimidate him. He bit his ear off and then that's where like, okay, we need to tie him down. Well, yeah, yeah, because the guy, basically, they leave they leave the one guy in there while um, he's trying to figure out uh, what's going on. And he, he thinks the old dude's whispering to him, so he leans in, and he, you see him kind of go and get attacked, and you're like, oh, no, he killed the dude. But then when um, Patari's dad gets back, you see he's holding his ear, 
which has been halfway chewed off by this old dude. And he's straight up like, dude, this guy is not human. Yeah, this is the time that they finally start realizing that this guy is is legitimately not just some... That they start believing Pitari and his shenanigans about Santa Claus and all that stuff. Because, you know, throughout this entire movie, Pitari's been trying to convince him, like his dad and his friends, yeah. that Santa Claus has been captured or that he's out trying to kick little kids. And this is finally the moment they start kind of believing him. A little bit, yeah. And it, it's it's very strange because when they get in there, and this is this is when they start doing that kind of interrogation scene. Because the guy, he, he's been on the table. He the guy's had his ear bitten. They all go in, and this is where they had Jusa's uh, dad has come in as their translator, and. <laughs> They, they try and intimidate him while he's naked, crouched over the Santa hat. And it's this creepy, creepy moment. And oh, Patari, in the meantime, has been going down his entire list of friends or, or pe- children he knows in the area. And none of them are home. And no one has seen any of them. So he is freaking out. Patari like runs out to the dad's slaughterhouse is knocking on the door. He wants to talk to his dad. And it's at that moment that this creepy naked dude stands up because now he is intrigued. Exactly. He starts, is it that he gets eyes on him or is he still just smelling him at this point? He smells him and he kind of like looks up and I think he stands up at that point. Yeah. And, he doesn't like once Patari talks to his dad because he even tells his dad, like, I have a stick, you can beat me 15 lashes or however many he wants. And the dad's like, What is wrong with you? And the kid's like, I did it, we did it. We just and I cut through the fence and we caused all of this, and this is our fault. And they hear a ruckus and they both run back in, and the old dude is bit through like a broomstick. And now, yeah, he's standing totally naked now, but his eyes start to glimmer because uh-huh. he sees uh, Patari. It's at that point that they're like, all right, kid, tell us what you know. Yeah, I mean, now they know that this guy's not human. The eyes have glimmered. They, the kid says he's Santa Claus. Honestly, at first, I think they think he's a child predator because... He straight up seems like a child predator. Granted, the glimmer of the eyes changes it up a bit, but even if you're watching this and you're like, all right, maybe this guy is a Santa Claus, but he he totally seems like a child predator. So they tie him up and they cover him in a tarp and they hang him basically from like the grid. And that's a cool looking scene, like the way he's all like wrapped up in the tarp, but these eyes of just like piercing. At this point, they're like, well, what do we do with them? And they get a radio call from their, you know, the big boss guy, that elf-looking guy. Um, and they tell him that they have a Santa for sale. <laughs> oh, man. So they dress him up, they put him in a cage, and they take him to the top of the mountain. And, uh, you know, that you this is finally at the point where you realize the stature of this little guy that's kind of calling the shots because at first you see a lot of close-ups on him, but yeah. you don't quite see how small he really is. 
He's a very small guy. And I think one of them makes an off comment, like, what is he, an elf or something like that? Yeah, that it is. And that's where you're kind of like, ooh, ooh, is he? Um, but then there's a ma- like a major, major twist. Because you think this guy's an elf. He gets off the helicopter. He says, what do you want? They say they want to make a trade. They want, they'll give him Santa Claus, but they want $85,000. Plus 20% of the Plus the 22% value added tax, which I think is fantastic. I, I, that was, that's a little line that I think is funny every time. <laughs> but you know what? It makes sense because 22% value added tax is a ton of money. And oh, it, oh, it is. It is and I, I love that they just throw that in there. And repeatedly, because it's done a few, I think it's done like in rules of three. I think they do it like three, three times in there. And it's just so much fun. Um, well, so this, this elf guy, he goes up to, uh, the Santa Claus and he looks at him. He's staring at him. He seems intrigued, right? But that's when he looks up and he kind of almost gives a almost half glance to the camera, almost a third wall breaking moment, but not quite to where he says, this isn't Santa. This is one of his little helpers. Well, it's the eye glimmer that gives it away. Yeah. And then you realize, wait a second, you're not the elf. He's the elf. Exactly. Oh, shit. This is what's so good about this film is that we've we've built it up. And if you've seen the short films, you're expecting these to just be the Father Christmases. That's it. You're just like, oh, there's going to be more of them. That's 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 all you're expecting. No. We find the last door. Door number 24. It's just like the advent calendar. This kid now has to face the fear that he has been trying to block off earlier in the movie with tape and staples. <laughs> that That's some, some great storytelling, visual storytelling, in my opinion, with that. Yeah, it harkens back to very Spielbergian storytelling. Like you're, you or hint at stuff. Talking. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, what it what it comes down to, really, at the end of it is, it's good storytelling. You're you're putting stuff in there because it has a meaning, but you're not shoving it in people's faces. Yeah, it's not every other five scenes. Hey, you guys remember this calendar? Hey, you guys remember it? Could you imagine like a flashback scene, them doing that, where he has the image in his head of the advent calendar? Oh, that'd ruin every second of that. <laughs> you know how many, but so many movies do that, where it's like, we just yeah, saw do. that happen five minutes ago, and then you have to see the scene of them remembering it in that moment. You're like, guys, oh, we were we were just there. We lived it. Yeah, because they, they always uh, underestimate the uh, the intelligence of their audience. Uh, granted for for some audiences yeah but you know if you want to go for a larger broader audience don't dumb it down i think that that falls into you know you could look into older or uh, older films or you could look into the fact that this is just made by a different country and have different expectations i think it's because you're not dealing with a hollywood framework and i always say that but really what it comes down to is like a major studio right um you look at a movie like primer <clears throat> if that were a major studio film it would never exist first off 
because there's so much random dialogue in there and just kind of like whatever you're like this is this is so much to handle this is so crazy this is so technical i don't really understand what's going on like i had to watch the beginning of that movie trying to listen to the conversation in the beginning thinking that it's integral to the movie and it kind of is but it's not but it's yeah. it's one it's something where no studio would ever allow that to be in a, a major studio would allow that to be in a screenplay. They would be like, this is going to confuse the audience too much. Again, uh, oh, underestimating the intelligence of their audience, depending on what the kind of audience is. Right. And to me, Primer is like a rewatchability movie. Like that's a movie you want to, if you're a fan of it, you're going to rewatch over and over to find how in depth they got with it. And I feel like this is rare exports is one of those movies as well where it's so layered and there's so much going on with it that you might not get on the first watch that you want to go back and rewatch again and again. Exactly. Now, so we've, we've uh, made our Eureka moment of this isn't Santa. This is one of his elves. Uh-huh. And that this little guy that has been talking about trying to get this thing out, isn't an elf. He's just, I guess he's just a collector. They really don't explain what he is. No, there's no real, there's no history, there's no backstory, any of it. Um, the rules have, have taken effect, and, and you're like, oh, we've got to start following all the rules. Um, helicopter pilot does something, immediately he's dead, he's gone. You just see, I think, his helmet or whatever. That happens a lot. People get pulled away and their helmets just spin around. It's very amusing. It's a good way to show something without having to have the effect really you you can kind of gloss over doing the effects work but you still have a a practical visual element so i I find that to be refreshing and the way that they do it it doesn't feel like it's just a budget uh, a budget cutting thing it just looks like a creative choice yeah yeah you're right it's definitely like it's definitely a creative choice and it's a really fun creative choice for this movie because it's as vicious and mean-spirited as some of it is, it's not. It feels very much almost like a family film in a weird way, but it's, yeah, that, so, it's so not. Like, this movie uh, is one of those ones that I... It's uh, uh, Granted, this is, oh, the horror, so yes, it is kind of a horror movie. I do not classify this as scary. I classify it as unsettling. Absolutely, and that's... Well, it's a... This is where horror is such a strange genre because it feels more like the stuff that's really fun is more genre-based. So it's like an amalgamation that touches on horror. Horror adjacent, I guess. Yeah. But, I mean, I definitely would classify it in that genre. But like I said, it's it's not your, your typical uh, spoopy ghost here and there. It's much more of like unsettlingness that happens around the town until mm-hmm. finally we reach that point to where we go zero to 60 in like three seconds. Cause that's when this, it's at this point that the movie just kind of goes off the rails. It's fantastic. So, but it goes off the rails. So this is actually, Ooh, wow. This is kind of really, um, so parallels gremlins to a point at this moment where all of a sudden you think it's just going to be a few or one and you start seeing old naked dudes everywhere 
everywhere they look all over the place and they all have weapons they all have these like blunt objects a bunch have pickaxes and and all sorts of stuff and the elf boss guy whatever like you know the the head of of sub-zero inc is telling them they all need to we all have to run we got to go boom he gets a pickaxe to the back of the head just thrown into the back of his skull he is dead yeah, which is when you realize that, yeah, he's not associated with them in any kind of professional sense. He's literally just a collector. <laughs> yeah, of some some larger company that's looking for something that knows the rules, so they know the history behind it. So we think he's the big bad, right? And that's what it's going to be. That's not the case. And I really like that, that rug pull. Mm-hmm. Um, so everyone has now run into number 24, of this giant like warehouse and you see a giant ice block it's santa now this is where i don't like the the uh, budget cutting constraints that they had to do with this i really want to see the bastard so yeah this is this is kind of like the i appreciate it more now but when i first saw it it was the same thing i thought about prince of darkness where it's yeah. like you want to see it, like show me the thing, but you just get a little bit of it, just part of it, and that that's a little upsetting. Um, but you and see the your size, like when you were talking when we were talking about Santa's riding Jotnars, I'm like, no, Santa has himself a Jotnar as a pet. <laughs> yeah, because he's Cause... huge. Yeah, and because uh, remember the size of the the horns on this thing are bigger than the pickup truck that carry them in later on. Yeah, so these horns are the only thing that are really unfrozen fully, like they're out of the ice. You see every electrical appliance, all the stoves and everything have been turned on full blast to melt the ice around uh, around you know the first uh, Father Christmas, the first Santa Claus, and, and you keep little uh little cracks in the ice as as this thing is shifting around in there mm-hmm. and just a, a, just enough to give you that that sense that yeah he's he's definitely alive oh yes and uh then you start hearing like children screaming and yelling and all the missing kids have been put inside and- of those potato sacks ready to be punished by Santa when he gets out of his icy slumber. So, you know, they finally get all these kids loose, and they realize if we do much else, we can't leave this warehouse right now because we've just let all these kids free. We've got a swath of of naked elves standing outside with weapons, getting getting ready to attack if we do anything to this thing. Yeah. What are we going to do? Well, and they're all screaming at each other. They're all freaking out, and no one, everyone's going back and forth. And uh, Patari's trying to get their attention, and he's trying to tell them, like, listen to me. He says it again. He says it again. Well, finally, he ends up shooting off his uh, the shotgun or rifle that he has. He has their attention now, and he tells them, I have a plan. Yeah, cue the uh, the 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 montage sequence. Essentially, 
this kid, this kid's plan is like <clears throat> right away. This kid's plan is we're going to blow up Santa Claus, but we need to get everyone out of here first. And I'm like, okay, man, I'll follow your plan. <laughs> uh, so the first part of this plan is send the, their buddy who was, you know, going to be, um, the town Santa Claus outside to distract the elves. Um, so he can get the helicopter and he's taken gingerbread because they're attracted to the smell of gingerbread. You can, you know, uh, the spices or whatever, they, they like it. So they're going to eat it. That's, that's one of the, the myth things behind it. Mm -hmm. And he gets to the helicopter without an issue. They've listened to this kid, and so far his plan is working. Again, yeah, that's one of those like tense building moments that you're expecting. That oh man, this guy's about to get ganked, but no, he's he, he it actually succeeds. It does, and it, it's a great moment because um, he takes the helicopter, he gets over the building. There's a hole in the roof. That's how the kid gets the idea for it, and. He says, we have to keep the kids in the sacks. Everyone get back in. Parental guidance was not the prevalent thing on his mind right now. <laughs> I mean, when you look at how this is precariously put together, you don't think about it. But once once we get in the air, there's a few moments where I'm like, whoa, OK. Like then the realization came into play. Like here's this eight year old dangling by uh, a, a helicopter from a from a giant net of kids a net yeah a net that is basically it's it's sacks the the potato sacks each have a kid in them and there's they're all in this net they've kept them that way um because you know that's how they were put in there so they they were going to keep them like that and then he gets on top of it and just kind of takes over this kid's turned into like a badass he's like john mcclain all of a sudden out of nowhere yeah that that's where i i this is a, okay. My, my full disclosure: I love this movie to death. Yeah, I find it incredibly entertaining. But damn, they 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 pull a complete one eighty at this last like ten to twenty minute mark of this kid's kind of awkward and quiet, and then all of a sudden I'm going to become the uber badass. Well, I mean, the whole idea is like no one ever listened to him, and he was a really smart kid. And if they had listened and they were able to all work together. It's not something he can always do on his own, right? He needs other people in order to make that plan become a reality. And that's, that's kind of what I think it is. It's like making a movie, trying to make a movie on your own is hard, but you need a team, but you need them to believe in you. Yeah. And I think that's what happened is people finally listened to him and he got the confidence he needed in order to conquer all of those fears. I mean, it's it, basically we're we're looking at a fairy tale type story. We're looking at like something that you would tell a kid before they go to sleep. Like this is be, the title of Rare Exports and the subtitle of a Christmas story, which is or a Christmas tale, which is put in there uh, in some versions, you know, of the film and, and not in other countries. But that, that kind of you know, at the end, but yeah. It, it kind of tells a lot about this. And then they throw another thing in there, too, at the end, which was very interesting as well. Um, but at this point, there, there's, a, there's a few moments in this where I'm like, wow, these, these people are working cartoonishly quickly. <laughs> because one of my favorite lines in this is, I, I'm, I'm, probably, I'm paraphrasing it a little, but if you ever wondered how Santa can be in a zillion places at once, well, now he can. 
Like that's that I love that that line, and it's just so ridiculous, over the top action movie line that that fits perfectly. Yeah, it's it's one of the most badass lines. It's absolutely ridiculous, and somehow they have drilled a billion holes into this ice and put every stick of dynamite possible into it. I mean, these guys are good. These guys are real good, and at the same time, he's able to. They they both look up at the horns that are up there just get this like uh dollar sign on the eyes look it's a eureka moment totally where they're like ooh, and they don't say anything they just look at each other and grin (laughs) and it's literally a jump cut to them taking the horns out of the facility like each individual one out of the door and loading them into the truck and you're like, though they went there, they straight up cut off those horns. We're going there. Okay. <laughs> um, and this kid, in the meantime, you know, the 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 their Santa Claus buddy is dr- flying the helicopter around everywhere, and with all these kids in this giant net thing, and Patari is just like hanging on to it and they even warn him they're like isn't it going to be cold out there like the cold the kids can't be out there in the cold and Patari's just like whatever it's fine then they keep going and all of a sudden Patari gets another eureka moment and he's like hey you need to fly the other direction and Santa Claus guy's like what he's like remember the reindeer and that's when this like janky ass electric fence comes back into play. Oh, we even forgot to say why he was doing this. Ooh, man. Okay, so the reason that he has gotten the helicopter with the kids is now they're trying to lure away. They're trying to lure away all the elves, right? So all the Santa's helpers, these little Father Christmases, they're trying to lure them to follow them. This is the ultimate Gremlins moment. This is like. In Gremlins, where they all come over the hill in the town before they go into like the movie theater, that's what it feels like in this, and it's just it's awesome. Yeah, he's been leading them away because that's how they're going to be able to. Uh, his father and and um, Juso's dad are going to be able to plant the explosives, and that's how they're able to actually go outside to the truck, rig everything up to a plunger, and get the. Uh, horns on there so this has all been a big distraction but yeah as you said the kid had an idea and that that electrical pen from earlier comes into play and this is also the point when you see the true scale of how many uncomfortably naked old men there are (laughs) running through the woods of finland (laughs) there are so many it is it is just like oh no why there's there's a lot of them you hear those sleigh bells jingling, ding, ding, tingling too. Yeah, yeah. In that real weird slow motion moment. Um, <laughs> so, Patari has to open up the pen, right? But he's hanging from this helicopter. He's got him to lower it above the pen. All these uh, Father Christmases are kind of like running up um, to the pen. He's able to open it. And he basically tells the guy, he's like, Tell my dad, you know, I did this to save everyone, or tell him what I did. This kid is going to sacrifice himself and to a bunch he... of naked dudes with with pickaxes and naked old dudes with pickaxes and blunt weapons. It's a creepy moment, man. And he swan dives off of a flying helicopter. Yeah, 
and you're thinking, oh no, this this kid didn't think that through. He's at least thirty feet off the ground. He's gonna die. <laughs> he lands he on the wires, uh huh, and then is able and, to lower himself down. Yeah, and turns it on. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to remember what uh, was it that they blew up the Santa, and that was enough to distract him away for. So yeah, this was the. This is literally like a deus ex machina moment because there was the planning on this. The timing somehow was impeccable without them having any sort of devices of communication. I like to think that it's a father-son intuition, potentially. That or a movie's got a movie. A movie's got a movie, but we're going to say father-son intuition. Um, So this kid has opened the pen to let them all in. They are running at him. He is going to die. Atari is going to get torn apart by these out there. It doesn't seem like there's any way out of this, but the dad, uh, his dad and, and Juso's dad are driving away from the, uh, facility and Atari's dad pushes down the plunger, blows up Santa blows up the entire facility. And this kid is waiting to die. He closes his eyes. He's waiting to get torn apart. They were running at him, and all of a sudden, he opens his eyes, and it's a bunch of confused, naked old dudes who are like, why am I holding a weapon? And they drop it. Mm-hmm. They just kind of stand there and stare at him for a while. Like, I, I don't... And it's not even like a moment of, uh, like an old guy that's been hypnotized to be an elf. No, as in, they're literally devices that no longer have a purpose yes that is exactly there's no humanity really in it they're just yeah a confused device it is so weird because and also he's not dead but this kid is way too calm and way too happy to be surrounded by a bunch of naked old dudes he's surrounded and he's cheering and out of context it is very awkward out of out of context, there's a lot of things in this movie that are very awkward. Like that kid stapling the stuff to his butt, him yeah. trying to pull down his pants to get lashed. Like this kid does a lot of uncomfortable things. Yeah, but I, I almost take those with... I, I don't even really think about those as much because there's so... That final scene of a bunch of old naked Santa Claus dudes running at this kid and they all have a bunch of weapons and it's slow-mo and you're seeing everything and you're like, dude, what is this? What am I watching? Viewer discretion advised. They do not shy away from the damn thing. Yeah. But it's not like they're, they're, they're not doing anything weird or sexual in this film at all. It's just kind of like, Ooh, this is very awkward and uncomfortable. Yeah. No, this isn't like, you know, Judd Apatow filming uh, some kind of a, a sex rom-com uh, or anything like that. No, it's it's literally just uncomfortable. Like I said, it's unsettling. That's what I call this entire movie is unsettling. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And now we get to the most unsettling part of the film, other than the male nudity, <laughs> is because now they're all in the pen. You know, everyone's back together. Uh Apparently, Juso is is a mathematician and absolutely brilliant because they decide, well, we don't have our $85,000 plus 22% value out of tax, but 
we do have 198 Santa Clauses, potentially. Uh, yes. I don't know how they managed to get that number, but... They, they counted all the people, I guess, but then they go, well, how much is that worth? And they go, well, I guess each one would be worth about the $85,000 uh, that we would you know, need. Our entire family of heroes get into the human trafficking business. But then when you realize how much money they're getting, it's kind of like it's such, so so Juso is like the dad just says it to him and he's like 16.8 million plus 22% value added tax. So there's that there's that damn line again. I love it. And that's what makes this movie so great is just small little things like that that are just it, it's it adds character to this film. And they try and treat it like this is a happy ending and everything's cool and now they have new cattle. But I'm like, your your animals are humans, but they're they're not, I guess, because they're these weird Father Christmases. And if we've seen the short films, we know what the Father Christmases are uh, already from that, which now it's kind of like, this is the origin story. But if you've seen the first short film, it's like since 1763 or whatever, uh, and how it's like family traditions passed down through generations. So this kind of changes that a little bit. Um, but now we get to go into how they, you think the movie's over. You think like the camera goes to, you know, that uh, kind of that crane shot. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, well, that's it. And then it says 312 days until Christmas. And you're uh-huh. like, wait, what? And then we get the montage sequence. Oh man, <laughs> the, the the most again. I'm going back to unsettling because it feels morally wrong to to be as happy as they are about it. <laughs> it uh, is. It's so wrong. It's so wrong. There's, you know, they've they've washed all of these naked old men in a in, in a you know in a giant facility, and then they've shaven them up to a certain extent, and then tailor them and. Well, then we cut, and that's, yeah, that was, uh, we get that early 312. Then we cut to 76 days. Uh huh. And now they're training with a bunch of fake kids. (laughs) So, yeah, I guess they're, they're being trained at 24 days, and you're watching how it's going well with some and not well with others. And when it doesn't go well with others, they, you know, they'll hit them or whatever. And you're like, it's funny. But this is really messed up because it's it, it's human trafficking and it's it's paralleling like real things that happen. Uh, I again, I, I kind of have to throw human into quotation marks. Correct. Yes. They but, look human, though, even though in this world, they're actually not. But I don't even know if they eat. <laughs> like, that is, well, they do, dude, because they remember they were all eating the. uh they had eaten all the um, reindeer. Uh, this is true, but I mean, what what are they? F- I mean, we get to the point to where they're literally putting them in crates, yeah. and that's where we get our uh, our logo of rare exports, just yeah, the side of the crate. Uh, yeah, twenty four days. You're watching them. Twenty four days until Christmas. They're being crated, dressed as Santas. Um, you get Tanzania right off the bat as the first one. And actually in the short film, when they're creating them up, the first place it goes in the short film is Tanzania. So it's a callback to the original film or short film. 
And then they have the the Tiananmen Islands right afterwards that you can see over to the right uh, where they're going to be sending another one. I think the only scene that doesn't look good is when they're loading up the cargo plane. I'm like, oh, this is very green screeny moment. But at the same time, like, whatever. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's the last like three minutes of the movie. You, you, you forgive them. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah. I mean, this is definitely like one that I could be like, eh, it's fine. Because then it ends with the Rare Exports logo using that Santa Claus that we see in the beginning. And then the little tagline at the bottom is, from the land of the original Santa Claus. And that's that's what I was wondering. is like, I wonder if that was the original working title was that, and they just never changed it in post. I think that's what they used in the short film, too, is kind of like what they put on the box or what they had in like their little brochure thing that they were going through. Because I think at the end of the first one, they have the logo and it says Rare Exports from the land of the original Santa Claus. But I think that was just kind of meant to be like when you see it in the end, you're like, oh, okay. And it ties it all together. And a throwback. Now, it's funny. You were, you were talking about doing like a mini a miniseries. Another idea of, you know, you could throw another miniseries to it of, of, of pie in the sky type sequels is what if like a for some reason father christmas the original father christmas has you know deadpool or or wolverine type powers and just regenerates but all of these father christmases around the world suddenly start attacking children yeah we got a we got a real dark movie then uh but at the same time like this movie does have some of those moments where it's like ooh this is rough it would, that'd be cool. I think it would be a really interesting way to go about it. Or even if it's like, maybe even if you're not going after the first father Christmas, like there could be more mythology and lore behind it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they kept the horns, right? Those didn't get blown up. So yeah, you can always factor that as part of it. Or, you know, it's like the iron giant. Eventually all the pieces start trying to come together. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that nightmare on Elm street four where the dog, the dog named Jason pisses on uh, Freddy's bones, and boom, they all... I forgot about that. They all reform. That's one of the best ways that any horror character has ever come back. It's so dumb, but it's so great. And I feel like that there's a lot of things that happen in this movie that can, can use that same, it's so dumb, but it's so great. But it is a fantastic film that I can't... I cannot suggest to anybody enough that doesn't mind reading subtitles at least because for what i know there's not any kind of a, a a dubs version of it no there's not um it would actually it would it would make the movie super confusing because they even talk about there being them not understanding english uh the other guys and then the one guy having to be the translator so you'd, you'd that whole scene would just not even exist or if it did it'd just be weird <laughs> no, I, I'm not saying that there should be a dubs version. I think that the movie as it stands mm -hmm. is as perfect as it is. Oh, no, I'm agreeing with you on that. I'm saying I think that's why for people who would want something like that, it wouldn't work for that type of film, I don't think. I'm all about dubs in certain films like, you know, a Dario Argento film because... Most of that stuff is already like ADR'd and stuff, so you're gonna end up with a really awful dub. But that's that's what makes you know the Lamberto Bava films and all that stuff uh, enjoyable. Like the original Godzillas, those were so horribly dubbed, but that's why we like them. 
Well, that's iconic now because it's it was so absurdly ridiculous in the way it was done that we look at it now and we're like, oh, gosh. And it's become such a parody that, yeah, it's just part of, I mean, it's not even as over the top as I think how most of us imagine it being, you know, because I, I always go for the comical approach to it where people have, have parodied it over the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's iconic and it stands out. So sometimes, yeah, dubs really do work in the favor of stuff. So uh, that is Rare Exports, uh, A Christmas Tale. I mean, I'm yeah. trying to figure out what else there really is to say ab- about it <laughs> other than watch it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's to me, it's a little too short. Look, we have a movie that is supposed to run uh, one hour and 22 minutes, and the credits hit, like, fully at one hour and 16. So... So yeah, there's the, uh, and the reason why I keep mentioning that whole ramp up from zero to sixty is that a lot of that stuff does happen super quick. Yeah. Like they spent so much time on building this backstory and this this environment that they left themselves with little to no time to to resolve it. Exactly, and that that's where I feel like had they been given a larger budget uh, to work with and more time i guess to to kind of they they had enough content obviously from the short films and the world they created either i would have liked to have seen this probably as like an hour and 45 minute film to get more backstory but then i feel like it might not be as good you know it would be too much and people would be like oh you know this movie feels slightly overstuffed uh like, maybe we need to pull some hour, back i think an hour and a half would probably be the perfect midpoint just to add like a couple yeah. extra minutes here and there to uh, you know like maybe a scene of them doing a, a little more planning or explaining this and that i don't know it, it, i feel like for what we got it was incredibly well paced mm-hmm. but at the same time i feel like there there could have been some additional things that could have been added just as uh i don't want to say filler because nobody ever wants filler but you know what I mean, though. Uh, to to flush it out a little more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's so much that can, they could do with this. I it's been ten years. I I really wish they had kind of taken this world and and done more with it by now. Um, Which, but you know, for something that is ten years old, this has not aged a bit. <laughs> not at all. No, it's it's. Uh, I was surprised that it was 2010. Because I was like, man, I remember seeing it when it came out, and then I'm like, man. Time is a strange thing. Perception of time is even stranger. Oh, God. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I mean, I highly recommend this. If if you are... I know some people are super prudish and would be like, I can't handle any male nudity. Or some guys are like, I'm not going to watch a movie that has any male nudity. That's gross. Whatever. Uh, Just, just, Just get over it it's a good movie it it really is and uh, you do yourself a disservice especially if you're into norse mythology yeah. or scandinavian folklore where uh that kind of stuff comes into play like it is just a, a beautiful cherry on top of that kind of a of the scary horror movie uh for or i mean the scary like holiday movie because that's this is one of those like uh christmas time horror movies that not many people talk about no no it's definitely under the radar but i feel like it's picking up 
kind of in the way that like Trick or Treat took a while for it to kind of gain a lot of steam. Like it has this underground presence. But each year, especially now with with digital media being in the forefront, like everybody's, you know, a lot of people are at home and wanting to find stuff. This is, I think, where Rare Exports is going to stand out, especially this year. I agree, definitely. But yeah, this is uh, a yeah, recommend from the both of us. Uh, but I think I mean, it pretty much wraps it up, right? I mean, it's, we've we've kind of gone through just about everything we can with this. Um, yeah, Jordan, you you picked a good one, man. This was this was a great first film uh, to come on here and and help me, you know, to to review, you know. Uh, I appreciate it, and uh, you know, anytime that you ever want to discuss any more random obscure films just you know you know where to go <laughs> well since we talked about doing this before we we should at least say that you know i guess the one of our ones in the future might not be the next one but it could be one of the followings or it might be the next one who knows we should do grave encounters one and two because i haven't gone over any of those ones yet so since that was something that you had mentioned that'd be a good one to uh to dive into i will say that those do uh the first one is really good yeah the second one does meta filming to a masterpiece extent to like the scream level of meta filming yeah i i enjoyed both of them so when you mentioned those i was like yes we do need to talk about those (laughs) i appreciate you for having me on the podcast and for anybody who wants to uh get in touch with me you can find me on my on my facebook that is jordan fluger spelled p f l u g e r or you can catch me on TikTok at Elmer Stud. That is E L M E R S T U D D. Same thing goes with YouTube. You can find me on as, as Elmer Stud there as well. Awesome. Um, and yeah, you can find me at Holmes Invasion or at Oh the Horror Cast. It's one or the other pretty much everywhere. I'm not sure which sites have what. You can find them. But yeah, Jordan, thanks again for being on. I've been Rob Holmes, and this has been Oh the Horror. Look at me, Damien. It's all for you. Now, it is time to keep your appointment with the Wicker Man. When there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk here.